Today's show is made possible by your friends, Ron and Don, licensed realtors with Windermere Midtown. They came super prepared, and they were quick to see that, even though I never told them. Uh, and I really appreciated that. When you're ready to sit down and strategize about your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Please hit subscribe. Hey, you guys. What's going on? It's episode number 146 of the Ron and Don Show. We are live from the Les Schwab Studios. He's Ron Upshaw. I'm Don O'Neill. And don't forget, we are licensed brokers with Windermere. If you're thinking about a Ron and Don sit-down, Ron, we've got a brand new website. That is correct. It's ronanddonsitdown.com. Check it out. You can see stories from other folks that have actually used us to uh, do a real estate transaction, hear it in their own voice. Uh, you can check out what we do. And then if you are on that precipice, about to make a decision that involves your home, uh, give us a call. So maybe you're downsizing, upsizing, relocating, maybe you had an important event in your life. We would love to partner with you on your real estate journey. What if you're badass sizing? I don't know what that means, but sure, I'll partner with you for that. (laughs) You just want to live in a really cool place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of really cool, uh, we've talked about proximity before. And I think sometimes with COVID-19, the Black Lives Matter movement, Uh, There's a lot of things that are going on right now, you guys, and it's important. It's important that we learn from each other, that we listen to each other. And I want to introduce you to two young men that have had a tremendous impact on my life. The first young man, his name is Coach Joey Thomas, and Joey actually used to play in the National Football League. Uh, He was drafted by the Packers. He went on to play for the Saints and some other teams in the National Football League for six years. And then he came to Seattle, back to Seattle, because he had played high school football. He's a huge standout at Kennedy. Uh, He went on then to be a great coach at Ballard. That's where I met him, because he asked me to come speak there one time. And then from there, he was a coach at Garfield. And he is one of the first coaches to tell me about what was happening at Cleveland High School. Because as we shared before, Ballard had their field. Roosevelt had their field. Other schools in the Seattle Public School District had their field, but for some reason, Cleveland didn't have their field, right? Yeah, it's a long story, and you can probably go back and find all the newspaper articles, but it basically involves patent unfairness, where the money was passed, uh, the city said it was going to do it, and then they just didn't do it. So you had entire classes of, of high schoolers prom made a promise and then it didn't happen so you'd come in as an eighth grader going to ninth grade and you're like hey man that's cool the, the field's passed so if you play football if you run track uh if you uh, play soccer if you need a fool uh, a field we got it and then your sophomore year junior year senior year still wasn't done next freshman class comes in hey guys you're a track standout wait till you see this new track sophomore junior Senior, you're out. No new track. This happened for year after year after year. And then you'd go visit your friend at a different school. It's like, hey, nice track. When was that built? Six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago. Oh, yeah, that same time our field was supposed to be built. There's a lot of politics involved, but you cannot now, looking back, say that there wasn't there wasn't a racial component to this, uh, a big racial component, because lo and behold, the students at that school were primarily black and brown. And the, boy, if you look at the first schools that got their field built right away, predominantly white. Yeah. So Coach Joy Thomas, who's over at Garfield, they have to play Cleveland. 
But he has such a wonderful heart. He's concerned about Cleveland getting their field built so they can actually compete with schools like Garfield, which I thought was really cool. Speaking of Cleveland, uh, there's a state trooper that coached at Cleveland at the time. And his sergeant called me one time and said, hey, would you help mentor this young man? Uh, Because he wants to be a world changer. And he wants to learn to do what you do, to jump on a microphone and lead folks and all that. Well, I agreed to do it. And next thing you know, I'm being mentored by him and by people like Joey. So Nolan, African-American coach in his 20s, just had a little baby by the name of Mia. So congratulations to Nolan and Morgan. And not only is he a state patrol officer that has been on the front lines of the Black Lives Matter movement and the riots here in Seattle, but also he continues to coach now back at his old alma mater, which is Kennedy High School. We come back. Nolan's going to join us. Coach Joey Thomas is going to join us. He's actually now a coach in Florida. His family's here in Seattle. He's in Florida. We're going to jump on and have a discussion about the Black Lives Matter movement, about kids, about listening to each other, and what these gentlemen have learned and what they want us to know as coaches of our kids. It's the Ron and Don Show, a very special episode, episode 146, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, it's Ron and Don here for Les Schwab, and you know, every time we broadcast, we're live from the Les Schwab studios, and you know what's so cool about Les Schwab? A lot of you are getting ready to hit the road again. You've taken a summer trip. Now you're taking a second summer trip before we get to school. Before you do that, make sure you stop by Les Schwab Tire Center, get a free pre-trip safety check before you hit the road. Yeah, right? and tires and wheels are only two parts of the essential safety checklist. It also includes alignment, battery, brakes, and shocks. And while a lot of other tire places don't offer that, Les Schwab does. Les Schwab knows that your family's safety is riding on more than your tires. So here's a little tip I learned. You can get all of those parts checked out with a free pre trip safety check. Let the pros at Les Schwab do the visual inspection of your vehicle's safety components, including alignment, shocks, brakes, and more. Schedule it. Get a pre-trip safety check at LesSchwab.com or stop by your local Les Schwab Tire Center. That's Les Schwab. Doing the right thing matters. They're hard workers, they're hustlers, and they're fun to hang out with at the same time. (laughs) When it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what commercial real estate expert Laura Miller did. I purchased a home in Alki, and it was a really cute uh, mid-century modern home. It was uh, a lot of more management than I expected. And I am a broker, but I do handle commercial. I don't do residential. And Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well-prepared. They were just really impressive. And the things that they outlined that they were, were going to provide their services were, it just made it easy. It was a laydown. Ron and Don seemed completely committed to listening to what my needs were and addressing them. I also got the sense that they're adaptable to what different clients' needs are. So for me, what was important was communication, ability to reach the brokers, to feel like I still had a fair amount of control on the deal. I like to have a fair amount of communication as to what's going on in the market, what are you doing today, <laughs> to um, you know move the sale forward. And they were collaborative. They came forward with some really great ideas, even little details like, could you water the plant while you're there? They're like, "Uh, of course. And they would show me them watering the plant. (laughs) The weekend that we sold the house, um, they were really successful and they came up with some creative ideas and they were 
always present, completely available to accommodate my schedule. Uh, we did most of our meetings in what I would consider off hours, late night meetings, no problem. Never felt rushed. Always felt like they were really attentive to details. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. You did really well. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. You're listening to The Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network, ronanddon.com. All right, you guys, uh, welcome back. It's episode 146 of The Ron and Don Show, and we got two great coaches and two great men uh, that are on episode 146 with us today, and we're pretty pumped about it. You know, a number of years ago, we told you about Cleveland High School, and we told you about a field there that wasn't built. And in fact, the way I found out about the field was from a coach by the name of Nolan Washington. And Nolan Washington has a mentor who's another coach, and his name is Joey Thomas, and he was a coach in Ballard and also a coach at Garfield. And in fact, guys, I'm going to share with you a note I got today from someone by the name of Elaine, and her kids used to go to, uh, to not only go to Garfield, but they also went to Cleveland High School. Uh, this is from Elaine. It says, uh, hey, guys, Ron and Don, here's something I'd like to share with you. The other day, a family friend came to visit, and I drove her in my car. We had our masks on uh, to pick up some food, and we were chatting away, and all of a sudden, she gasped out loud. It was really loud. And then she pointed and said, did Cleveland High School get a new field? We had just pulled into view of the field, and she was awestruck. This young woman is a few years into college, but had played ultimate frisbee on the old field. I remember watching her play there, and the field was dusty and rocky and neglected and completely uninspiring. Anyway, I happily answered her, yes, they did. And, of course, you guys came to mind. Thank you so much for your advocacy work, because every time I pass this beautiful field, I see people from the community. I see them walking on the track. I see people out there during COVID doing many workouts or playing soccer. And I see that kids now in this community, black and brown children, have retaken the field. It's a beautiful field, and you guys have done great work here. And I just want you to know that your work matters, and you will always have a special place in my heart. And that's from Elaine right there, who kids, whose kids used to try and play on that field. Anyway, Coach Nolan Washington is here right now. He's a state trooper. Coach Joey, uh, Coach Joey Thomas is with us. And not only did he coach here locally, but now he's coaching in Florida. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Joey, let's talk a little bit because I came to see you when you were over at Garfield. And we walked around the field together. You gave me kind of a, uh, a beautiful, a beautiful tour of Garfield. And you explained to me why, why – Maybe Garfield had their field, Ballard had their field, but then why, why, why a school like Cleveland, where mostly black and brown children go, why they didn't have a field. Talk to me a little bit about that. <laughs> You're going to take me back through it. Um, uh, I mean, it's for a lot of reasons, but, you know, the main thing is, well, there's two things that I'm going to speak to. And one of them being when you start to look at Seattle public schools and, and what it truly represents and who it truly represents is very segregated. It's very segregated. And 
a big thing is, is once a lot of the inner city schools had their stadium, you know, once they decided to make that happen, now they're going to look at selling that property, which is Memorial Stadium, which is the flagship of the Seattle Public School District, which has been going back and forth for years. Do they sell the property? Do they keep the property? So back then, the levy was passed and the money was there. And in Ballard, we had enough parents that were standing up saying, build our field and we need lights. And they went ahead and did that. A similar thing happened at Garfield. But it it seems like with Cleveland, there weren't enough parents that were standing up uh, and saying, hey, we need to get this field built for our kids and for the community. 110%. Everything is about parent support. I mean, that goes back to even looking at the programs that are at the schools. If you have parents that are overbearing and are going to put pressure on the district, the district is going to listen. And the district is very selective in who they choose to listen to. I mean, think about it. Cleveland didn't get that field to you guys got involved. Why was that? Because that created, um, you know, an uncomfortable situation. That created a tension, and it put the district in a position where they had to respond in a positive light. The district's, the district's not going to do anything until they're forced to do it. I mean, even going back to my own situation, the district doesn't move unless you make them move. And, um, you know, that's what happened when you guys got involved and start preaching it and, you know, making it mainstream. So, Coach yeah. Thomas, I got to ask you, I think most people that are listening to the Ron Adonche right now would not think that Seattle would be a, a segregated school district. They, when they, uh, and I, I sort of, when that struck my ears, I was like, really, Seattle, Washington? Like, I've lived in, in New Orleans uh, where I would say that was a segregated school system. Mm-hmm. Mm, that, that seems odd. Tell me more. Uh, I, perfect. So if you look at the programs that are offered at a Roosevelt, at a Ballard, and, and I'm talking strictly academic at this point, a Roosevelt, a Ballard, a Nathan Hale, um, um, a Ingram, like, you know, the, the schools out north having an auto body program, you know, having a maritime at Ballard and having some of these other programs. If you go to a Garfield or Cleveland or Franklin, you don't have access to those schools because in the past it's been all about your neighborhood school. So if I didn't live in that neighborhood, I didn't have access to those programs. And so what happened is, is the booster clubs, you know, that were ran by the parents and you know, things of that nature, they will put money together, raise money for these programs. So if I didn't live in that neighborhood, therefore, even though we are a public school, I didn't have access to the same education that someone else had. So my education now became segregated by my zip code. You know, so d- depending on what your zip code is, and this and this goes back to redlining, take it back into the history, this goes back to redlining. Your zip code determined the education because you had to go to your neighborhood school. And they sued, the parents actually in Ballard and Roosevelt sued for it to be that way because they felt like when they were busing kids, they felt like their kids and their community and their neighborhoods didn't have access to the schools that, you know, their grandparents went to, the parents went to, so they fought to make a neighborhood school. So once they did that, it became segregated in education that you have access to. And it's all about accessibility. And, you know, uh, where you live shouldn't determine your education if we're all supposed to be a public institution. If you're private, that's different. But if we're public, 
it should all be relatively fair, or at least be accessible to all. Yeah. Let's go Joey Thomas. That's the voice. And of course, he was a coach at Ballard. That's where I met him during a, a spaghetti slurp. He asked me to come speak there, which was a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you killed it. You killed it. <laughs> <laughs> the spaghetti was good, though, man. It was really good spaghetti. And then from there, he went on to Garfield. And of course, you know, he was in the NFL. And uh, now he's big time. He's big time in Florida right now, Coach. Hey, we're talking about Cleveland real quick. Coach uh, Nolan Washington is with us. He now coaches at Kennedy. Both these young men played at Kennedy. Uh, and Nolan is also a state trooper, and he was a superstar at Washington State. He was a superstar cougar, you guys. Some and people he- say maybe the finest DB to ever come out of Kennedy. <laughs> You know what? Let's just stop right there. Nolan, you were, you were telling us before Joey jumped on that you were actually a better defensive back at Kennedy than he was. Is that true? Hey, Joey knows. Joey knows I wouldn't say nothing blasphemous like that. <laughs> Joey knows I give credit where credit is due. And uh-huh. he's the GOAT, and he knows that. You know what I mean? And so that's the only thing that was coming out of my mouth was nothing but respect and love because that's my older brother, and that's who I learned it all from. So it's, you know, and with this case, the, the teacher was still better than the student, you know what I mean? But rightfully so, when he was so good, I couldn't really live up to it, but I didn't really have to. You know, he just kind of made it easier for me. Tell, tell, I want to ask you a question about, about Cleveland, where you coach, but tell everybody real quick kind of how you, you and Joey know each other and why you have such an affinity and, and, and great respect for Joey. Yeah, so I met Joey in high school uh, about – probably my freshman year going into my sophomore year when he had came back, he was playing for, I think New Orleans around that time. I think. Yep. And he came out. Yeah. And then he came out to the school one time and I I met him and he was real cool, laid back. You Mm -hmm. feel me? Like, you know, came over. Oh, so you the one these guys keep talking about. I'm like, yeah, you feel me trying to to ask me like, would I be better than Joey? I would have definitely told you I was. As I got older and I started realizing the respect and how hard it was to do what he did that's when I was like let me let me take a step back and look at what this man really did for a minute and so yeah from there he gave me his number and he literally like even though he was in the league always responded and he always spoke with conviction always told me bro you gotta have confidence man you always like he would always tell me stuff in a sense of like like say that no do it no take it no that's yours like that like, he will always like really hit home on those points mm-hmm. you probably out of all my mentors and coaches i met you know from college right, he's always had the ultimate swagger which is why he played as long as he did and did what he did you feel me and uh so joey's from there, you know, he, he was my mentor in football. And when I got into coaching, same thing, took me under his wings, would call me, tell me things, hey, watch out for this, do that. Still to this day, I can always hit him up, and, you know, he's always there for me. So, yeah. Joey, there's not a lot of guys in the league that are giving out their personal cell phone number when you're playing for the Saints. What, what, what was going on there? Hey. It's simple for me. Each one teach one, each one rich one. You know, when I had the opportunity to come back, and kind of talk to the fellas. You know, Nolan stood out to me. You know, it was Nolan, it was uh, Trey, and it was Demario. And, uh, you know, there was just something special about Nolan. You know, he was a good student, but don't let him gas you up. You know, he could play in his own right. He was a good player, but even a better person. And I think that was one of the things that really drew me to him. Like, you know, he had high character. And, uh, you know, a good young man, you know, you can tell that he was really raised the right way and a good football player. But, you know, his character as an individual – him always wanting to learn. You know, sometimes, like, when you're in high school and even when you're in college, you think you have all the answers. 
but he was always asking questions. So I was like, look, if the young boy wants his information, I'm going to give him everything I got. I'm going to give the game to him because somebody mentored me. Somebody gave me the information. And information is not supposed to be kept. It's supposed to be shared. And that's one of the things that I've always tried to do is share my information. You know, let's give it is because I think just as a community, that's where we go wrong. We don't tell the stories. If, if I can help Nolan uh, not hit up pitfalls that I went through, I should do that. Learn through my experience and don't go through the heartache that I went through. So I always tried to pour into these guys so they can learn from, you know, not just the things I did right, but the things I did wrong. Like, hey, look, young fella, I did this and it didn't work out because of X, Y, and Z. You don't have to make the same mistake. So that was just ingrained in me. You know, I'm a son of a coach, so I've always tried to give that back. So if he can learn from my mistakes, he'll be better, you know, be better for it. And he can teach that same lesson. And I'll always say, when you get to where you're going, make sure you give back. Make sure you teach the next generation. As long as we continuously do that and stand on the shoulders of those that come before us, we're going to look up and we're going to be standing pretty tall together. Can you believe that those doctors gave him a baby to take home? That's all right. I got a I got a baby too. They gave me a baby too. And he's he's ten now. I got a baby, a dog, and a fern, and they're all still alive. So, Nolan, let me let me ask you this: You're coaching at Cleveland. That field is not built. I witnessed your kids watching walking twenty five miles in their cleats because they didn't have a field like everyone else. Then they line up against Roosevelt on a Friday night. You're standing there in your state patrol gear. These are mostly black and brown kids. You look up in the stands. There's a black man with his state patrol gear on coaching his her off of these kids and a lot of these kids don't even have uniforms that exactly match and then we look over at roosevelt and i'm like are you kidding is is this a seattle public school system and it just seemed to me and then i went and then i went to first i went to talk to joey about it then i went to roosevelt because i wanted to see their field and that's when i got pissed off and mad and i said how come roosevelt has his school has his field how come ballard has his field Garfield fought like hell to get that field. Uh, and, and Cleveland didn't have this field. What made you go there? What made you coach? And what was it like to have your police gear on in the middle of black and brown children who don't always love the police? <laughs> yeah, so um, start off, the reason I went there was um, Coach Arnold, another one of my mentors, one of Joey's uh, best friends. Uh, he was there, and he um, as soon as I got out the academy, he had called me up and was like, I want you on my staff. I'm at Cleveland. And I didn't really, really care where he was at, at the time. Once uh, once uh, PA called me, I'm like, I'm, I'm there whenever those guys call me because they did so much for me. I'm like, I got to – you don't even have to tell me where. I'm, I'm just going to go. So so he had called me and asked me, did I want to coach? I said, yep, yep, sign me up. And then he had told me, oh, I'm at Cleveland. I was like, oh, you're at Cleveland. And I kind of knew knew about Cleveland, you know, growing up and stuff like that. You know, they've always had good players, but always been a team that never really broke, broke through. And so I'm like, okay. And then once I actually got there, I figured out why. I figured out why they they didn't have the same opportunities that a lot of these other schools had, you know. And I remember training camp, we didn't really practice. We practiced in the gym with with our some guys had cleats, so they had to have their socks on. And just how unprepared. And you know, as Joey will tell you, when you're an athlete, preparation is everything. When you and and when you're trying to coach a team, you need those practices. You need all that stuff. We weren't able to do it. There'll be times where we didn't even have a bus driver. Like PA will get it all ready. We have the field ready. We we literally be filling up the uh, 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 Gatorade coolers, getting all the equipment up, stop, PA come back, and then we're sitting in the office, and he goes, the bus just left. 
I'm like, what do you mean the bus just left? I, the bus just left. So we either have to walk, try to walk to this field, or we got to practice in the gym. So we practice in the gym, or we'll walk down to Georgetown. So it was just one of those deals where I saw firsthand, I was like, this is kind of why I feel bad for, you know, people who are coaching here. Because you don't get that same opportunity to prepare and put yourself in a position to be successful. It's really, it's really, really hard. Even when we had some talent, we really couldn't do much because the teams you were going against, they had, they just had more. So we were just at a disadvantage. And so, you know, that whole experience alone kind of opened my eye to and kind of, you know, I was, and Joey always put me up on game exactly on how stuff was going. And so, uh, so that's when we started going, like, we need to figure out something for this field. And, you know, and then that's when I got in contact with you. And then from there, the rest was kind of history where we needed somebody that was going to make, make these guys listen because they weren't at the time. And it just seemed like, honestly, if it wasn't for, you know, talking with you and, 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 and having you guys come, we wouldn't have probably had it because you wouldn't have the mark that we needed behind it to really, along with the bite, to really get it going. So that's kind of how I ended up at Cleveland. And, you know, just as far as the law enforcement thing, I did it because I saw my uncle do it. My grandfather, uh, he was with SPD, but he coached at CAYA Garfield. He coached at Rainier Green. So he was down there in his uniform. So I kind of saw it. And, you know, one of the biggest things is image is everything. I think that one of the dopest things I remember was one of the kids coming up to me, and he literally said, I never thought about being a cop till I saw you, bro. I never thought about it. So I saw you. He was a kid that grew up like me, grew up in inner city Seattle, same, you know, walks of life. And he never would have, he never pictured that a cop would be as cool. A cop would listen to the music he listened to, walk walk like him, talk like him, still be doing the same things. And for me, that hit home. I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm doing this for a purpose. I mean, I don't always want to go from work to, I mean, from practice to work the way I was doing it, but I had to because it just, I wanted to coach. And so I knew I had to be at practice before work and so on. But then I started seeing, how the kids would come up and they would ask questions. And it was already icebreaker because I looked like them. I played football. I was doing what they were doing. So it was easier for them to try to relate to me and ask those questions that they probably normally wouldn't go up to a normal cop and ask. And so that's when I really just started, you know, just kind of opening up their eyes before. Because before they, they didn't know I was doing it. They just knew I was this guy that played college ball and I was a coach. And so now they were like, oh, whoa, you're a cop? Wait, what the heck? And so now they're asking questions that they see on TV, all the things that they normally wouldn't be able to ask. So that's kind of where it came with me being in the uniform. In that game, I just so happened to be, I was running late on a shift, and then I literally went from the road straight to the stadium and had the coach in my gear. So that's kind of how that worked. Yeah. Hey, Joey, uh, your, team at, your team at Garfield, uh, you guys took a knee when it wasn't cool to take a knee. You took a knee. Right. Probably the only other person in the world took a knee was Colin Kaepernick. Now everyone's taken a knee. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like. It was in the front page of the paper. There was a lot of pressure from the district. Uh, you and I had talked kind of off the record, so I don't want to throw some stuff on the record that I'm not allowed to throw on the record. <laughs> talk to me. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like. When your kids, the student body, the cheer staff, all of them decided to take a knee because there was a lots and lots of pushback here in Seattle, wasn't there? Right. Um, and it was incredible how many people, you know, pushed back and didn't support uh, these young men. It was quite disappointing. Uh, but the experience, to be truthful, was, you know, petrifying in a lot of ways. You know, we didn't know what the response would be. There was no way for us to know that it would be as big as it was. We weren't into that. We just were about right and wrong. And what we felt was right and wrong. And, uh, you know, as a leader of young men, I supported them. And I think it was important that they felt like they had a voice and their voice mattered. And if you fast forward five, six years, that 
these are the voices that are leading us now. So it was it was really a cool thing that I was a, able to be a part of that movement at such an earlier stage. Um, but it was it was crazy. Uh, I'm very proud of those young men. It's still something that we talk about today that we did the right thing when it was the unfashionable thing to do, when it was the uncool thing to do. And it's amazing now how those uh, individuals in the district and, you know, God bless them, you know, they, they've seen the light. And now that, you know, you hear them saying, man, you know, we really were onto something. Maybe we would have responded differently. But but I think in, I think in all things, people are afraid of uh, how people are going to respond. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's easier to do the wrong thing that everybody else is doing than, you know, uh, doing the difficult thing, yep. you know, like taking the easy, the easy wrong over the difficult hard. And we mm-hmm. took the difficult hard road. And I'm proud of those men for setting up for what they believed in. And uh, I think we all can learn something from them in everyday, you know, walks of life. And, uh, you know, doing what's right, even when it's uncomfortable to do it. And that can be, you know, interjecting in a conversation that you know is inappropriate. Just, you know, doing the right things. And it was a very difficult to go through. You know, my job was in the line. You know, my career was in the line. My character was in the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, my family's safety was in the line. So that was tough to go through. But I'm happy for the experience. You know, after going through that, I know I'm a lot stronger. Uh, yeah, so that was an amazing experience to go through. And I'm grateful for the support of you, Don, and, you know, Ron, and, you know, and Ann, and everybody else, the, the NAACP, and everybody that stood strong with this um, during that time. Because without your support, there's no doubt about it, that they would have fired me. They would have got rid of me. They would have crucified my name, you know. So, I'm grateful for the support of the community, you know, but the time that's who stood by me. So I'm forever grateful for that. Coach Thomas, I just want to take one second to acknowledge, because a lot of times we don't ever do this. And when we have the chance to circle back around, you were right then and you were right now. And I just want you to marinate in that for a second. I have a world of respect for you. Because a lot of people were telling you you were wrong. You were right. I appreciate that greatly. That means a lot. I just want to make one correction. The kids were right. Mm. Mm. The kids were right. And that's the one thing that I never want to get lost in this whole deal. Yes, I wind up being the target, but the kids were right. Mm. The kids were right. And if we spend more time listening to kids, I mean, out out of the mouth of uh, kids, you know, speak the truth. So, again, it was a blessing to be a part of that experience. You know, it really changed me a lot on how I view things and how I go about things. And there's so much power in unity. There's so much power in unity. And, you know, I think (laughs) fast forward, you know, that's what we need now. What, what do you see in the college locker room now from when you were in the college locker room since Colin Kaepernick, since taking a knee, since BLM? How is it different with uh, when you're at Florida and you see a group of college kids coming to play ball? Right. Well, Nolan knows this. Now that I'm on the coaching side of it, I don't really go in the locker room that much. That's kind of like forbidden territory. Don't go in there you know, unless something happens. But I think what you see with these young men – they feel like it's okay to have a voice. It's okay to express themselves and how they feel about what's going on in the social settings. And, you know, it doesn't matter what your background is, you know? And I think there's a little bit, 
there's definitely a little bit more caution. People are a little bit more aware on what they say. People don't want to say the wrong thing, but I think when you lay the groundwork that, hey, this is open conversation. It's not about right and wrong. You have your experiences, so you're going to speak your truth based off your experiences. The trick is, is you have to be willing to listen to other people's experience to gain a deeper understanding of where someone's coming from. Mm. And I think when you're able to do that and you come in with an open mind and an open heart, you get great results. What you don't want to have happen is, is people come in there and just say all the right things, but they don't listen because then you can't open up and you can't grow and you can't learn. But kids seem to be a little bit more wanting to grow. You know, they, you know, they're, they're, they're seeing what happened. So, Kids are so resilient. In my opinion, young people are so resilient. So the, they saw what happened with Colin Kaepernick. You fast forward to now and they say, okay, we were definitely wrong on that. I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. So let me see if there's something to it or if there's something that I can learn. I see a lot more openness with the youth. You don't necessarily see That's that right. with the That's adults, right. but That's with right. the youth, you see a lot more openness and a willingness. Hey, man. I grew up completely different, and I don't understand none of that, but I want to hear you out. I want to hear your story. Tell me where you're coming from so I can have a better understanding. And even if we agree to disagree, I want to hear you out. You see a lot of that, a lot of open dialogue. And people walking away like, man, that's kind of cool. I never thought about that, but that's a great way of looking at it. And you see that more so in the youth. You don't see that with the old guard. Now, I'm not saying that the old guard can't change, but in the youth, you see a lot more forward movement with the old guard, not so much so far. Yeah. It's been my experience. Yeah, and I want to sorry to cut you, and I want to piggyback off of that because um, mm -hmm. I know Don and I talked about this, and just how Joey says, like Harriet Tubman said, it was easier to uh, it's easier to create change when you're dealing with kids or, or or younger people compared to older people who are already stuck in their ways, and even in law, yeah. just for what I see. And what I see with law enforcement policies then you know, in agencies and different things like that that aren't really changing because when you look at who's at the helm, and I'm not, you know, talking about anybody in particular, but a lot of older people that are stuck in the older ways or are refusing to, like, listen like how Joey's talking about and willing to, 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 to change and really to admit that we messed up or how do we get, make this right? They just want to be stuck in their ways because of the way it was before them. And, and that's why like my target has, my hope has been in the younger generation of policing, the younger generation of, you know, guys to get a hold of them to realize that, man, I've tried to change older, the older people. And I've been met with such force that I'm just like, you know what? I, I'd rather go to the younger guys. I, I, I'd rather go to these kids in high school, these kids I'm coaching, these kids who really live this and are saying like this that's wrong that's wrong that you know just because a person's skin color they can't go there or they have to be treated this way or the system is this way because that's exactly what it is and so the, the, the younger people I will definitely agree with Joey is they're having these talks they're having these dialogues even with some of my seniors with stuff that was happening at Kennedy our conversations and stuff that the questions that they're that they're asking and just the things that they're saying and their willingness to stand up is, is like none other. And so I have hope in them, you know, and knowing that they're going to be the people that, you know, really want to, you know, change a lot of stuff that's going on. Yeah. Final question for both of you men. Uh, and Coach Thomas, we'll start with you. Let's just talk to – let's zoom out and talk to all parents right now. Okay. You're, you're, you're an expert when it comes to kids. I watched you walk around Garfield. You knew every child's name. 
when they were late for class, you got on them and you let them know. We walked around Garfield. You explained civil rights to me. We looked at the civil rights murals uh, all around Garfield. We walked around that field together. Everywhere we went, you knew every teacher, every administrator. You knew every child by their first name. Right now, parents are freaking out and going, here I go, and now I got to be a coach to my kid. I got to be a motivator. I got to be a teacher. I got to be a helper. I got to be everything. Stuff that I usually depend on a Coach Thomas for, uh, I don't have. So what kind of advice would you give to parents right now that are listening and just saying, hey, Coach, you're, you're, you're an expert as I head into the school year. Uh, what do I need to focus on, kiddos? What do you got? Okay. Everything you have to do has to be rooted in love. And I think for parents who are, you know, homeschooling or, you know, having their kids at home, it's tough. Like, it's crazy. But I think you have to take time to try to talk to your kids, you know, kind of understand what they're going through. Because just like you're going through it, depression of not seeing their friends on a regular basis, not, not having a teacher, not having someone that's walking through um, the experience as you're home trying to monitor everything. And patience, um, compassion, understanding, and love. Find yourself frustrated. frustrated too. They're upset, too. They're annoyed too. So as much as we may be upset with them or frustrated with them, you know, they're frustrated with us. That would be my advice um, to parents, you know, dealing with their child and children uh, at home, you know, during this pandemic. I think this pandemic can do a lot of things. It can grow our families as far as togetherness and closeness. Um, and I just think kids need to hear, and this has been my experience, when you talk with your kids and not at your kids, there's a great respect level that they're going to gain from you. Like, hey, I've made these mistakes at this point in time. You know, I'm not saying that you have to do what I did, but learn from my mistakes. And I think sometimes as authority figures, coaches, parents, we're always talking at them. We're always talking at them. But the thing that I've always tried to do is just have a communication piece. You know, let's have open dialogue. Now, if you're wrong, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. But people respect that when you tell them you're wrong, as long as you love them up as well. You know, you can't be too much one way or another. So um, that would be my advice uh, initially. Yeah, thanks for that. Coach Washington, you're in your 20s. Uh, you're a college standout, a high school standout, just like Joey at Kennedy. You're married now. You just brought a beautiful baby into the world. You got some help from your wife on that one. I think she may have helped out. <laughs> so Mamba she Mia. did all the work <laughs> uh, she got her looks from her mom what would you now you 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 you've been a, you've been in a very unique situation because with blm happening here in seattle and the riots happening you've 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 been out there and you've had to enforce the law. And here you are, African-American state trooper. You're, you're, you're a coach. You're a dad now. Uh, what would you want? You're an expert, though, when it, when it comes to kids. What would you want parents of all kids out there uh, to know as, uh, as we head through this, this time in history? Um, I, I would say, you know, it's, you know, it's difficult. And just as you mentioned, I'm, you know, I'm fairly young in this whole process. So I'm learning as we go, but just, you know, based off of what I know, especially from, you know, a lot of stuff that, that has happened, um, this year, I think the biggest thing that I've taken from everything is just being willing to listen, 
Uh, I think it's so hard for, uh, for, for people and adults in general, and even as coaches sometimes to really sit down and listen to your kid and, and really like your, you know, your athlete are really like taking what he has to say and take him seriously. Cause you always think that you have the answers and you always think that, you know, it's my way or the highway type of deal. And I've learned through coaching, especially that, you know, you're only going to get so far with a kid when you're not willing to take into consideration what they have to say or how they're feeling or, or uh, what they're going through. And so I think the biggest thing I've learned is, you know, from, you know, from these kids is listening. Like, what are you going through? Why are you doing that? Instead of just getting mad and, you know, assuming and telling them you have to do it this way, taking a step back and realizing, okay, why, why would you do it that way? Talking, having those discussions. Um, I think that just applies to life in general. I think, you know, with a lot of, a lot of the stuff that's going on, I think that people aren't listening and that's why we're in the position that we're in because people feel like they're not being heard. And so I think, that starts even with your kids you know I became a better coach when I stopped talking so much <laughs> and I started realizing like all right what are these kids saying especially with off the field issues wow I really became a better coach when I sat back and was like okay how can I help you instead of me telling you what to do and you know doing it this way what do you need what it what what's going on in your life why do you do this why do you do that and when I had those those conversation it, it, it really became better and now when I did tell them to do something, they knew it was coming from love. They knew it was coming from a place of he really cares because he was able to listen to me. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing just in general that, that can help out everything and a, lot of, and a lot of stuff that's going on is just being able to, uh, you know, have an ear to listen and truly listen. And not just, oh, say what you got to say and let me talk, but truly sit down, listen, let them feel heard. And I think you can really uh, have a better relationship and, you know, help the kid out even more when you uh, establish – you know, a safe ground where they feel like they can come talk to you. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much. And before you go, the most important question, Joey Thomas in his prime, <laughs> Nolan Washington in his prime. <laughs> These guys line up. It's a 50 yard indoor war. <laughs> 50 yards. We're going to run 50 yards, but we're going to run backwards. We're going to run 50 yards backwards. Nolan, could you, could you take Joey 50 yard into a war if you had to race him backwards? Come on now. I learned how to backpedal from Joey, man. So, you know, I don't know. You know, I think, you know, I think, I, I think Joey will get me, man. It's, it's hard to ask these questions now that I've been through what I've been through. I've seen what I've seen. I'm younger than me. I was younger. I was Joey Jr. You feel me? I go on, I'll tell Joey to his face I was better. I think I told him that, too. But that's what I like about him, though. That's yeah. what I liked about him, though, because he was crazy enough to say it. I said, okay, I respect it. Nah, but going backwards 50 yards, I mean, it would be it would be a tight, you know, a tight door. But I think in the end, I would add him out. But, <laughs> you know. <laughs> hey, if you'd have said anything different, that like I wouldn't have believed it. If you'd have said anything different, I wouldn't believe it. Because ain't nothing changed from the first day we met until now. Thanks, you guys. I want to do this again soon. Hey, thanks for having me on, fellas. Man, I appreciate it. Sorry about the timing of it. You know, we ain't camping. It's crazy, but it's never too late, and there's never time that I won't come on here and support my guys. But I appreciate you guys from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Joey, thank you. Nolan, thank you. Be safe on those streets and take care of that Mamba Mia, all right? Yes. Love you guys. All right. All right. So
Love you guys. All, All right, right, man. Take care. All right. Episode 146. It's the Ron and Don Show live from the Les Schwab Studios. We will see you to say goodbye on the other side of this. Ron and Don from radio to real estate. When you're ready to grab a cup of coffee and sit down with the guys, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. There you go, you guys. Our thanks to Coach uh, Nolan Washington for stopping by. Congratulations on Mamba Mia, the little baby he and Morgan just had, and Coach Joy Thomas working late into the night in Florida on the East Coast. His family's still here on the West Coast and kind enough to spend some time with us. And sorry some of that sound was a little bit crunchy, but that's because Joey was leaving the practice facility on his way to another meeting in an Uber. So nonetheless, Ron, what would you learn today? Um, well... I wanted to do the thing that I did in the interview, which is tell him he was right for this reason. I think a lot of times people that have courage uh, and they make a stand early, we forget how big of a risk that was when later they were proved to be right. So you think of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, once he was like at the Olympics, lighting the torch and all that, most celebrated man in the world, most famous man in the world. You forget how risky it was for him to make his stand back in the day. Um, you think about the Olympic athletes that wore the black glove and tell me their names again because you, you wrote about them before. They had their black glove in the air at the Olympics uh, and I'm blanking on their names right now. They're proven to be right and then they have to wait years and years and years for someone to tell them that they were right. And so I, I wanted to take a second to tell Coach Thomas he was right. And he deflected that a little bit and said the kids were right, which is true. But he was also right for listening and for, for taking a stand. Uh, that, that was something that I learned. And then the other thing is that um, we all just need to listen to other people's stories, listen to other people's journeys, and... Um, Take it in and educate ourselves. And I think that that's the thing, if anything, we've learned in this, the Black Lives Matter movement is it's up to us to educate ourselves and up to us uh, to, to reach out and to get these different pieces of information. And so um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos were the two athletes I was thinking of. I, I don't know how soon it was after that that anyone told them they were right, but you know, I think you need to stop down and tell someone, hey, man, you got it right. Mm. At great personal cost, you got it right. Uh, and so that to me was important for me to acknowledge that I don't know if I was 100% there when he was doing it. I was, I th hopefully I was above 75%, but I don't know if I was 100%. And so I wanted him to know that now I know that he was right. Yeah. And on the backside of that story, I want to thank Adam Bremner because when Coach Joey Thomas called me and he said, Don, I think they're going to fire me from the Seattle Public School District because my kids kneeled last night. And it was a decision they made, and I supported them. My football team kneeled. Uh, people in the stands kneeled. The cheer squad kneeled. I didn't decide to do that. They did, and I supported them, and I didn't tell them to stand up. And as a result of that, I think I may lose my job at Seattle Public Schools because I'm catching a lot of heat. And that's when I went to Ann Bremner, who's, who's a fantastic attorney here, and she stepped in. She's also the attorney for Carmen Best right now. So our thanks to Ann Bremner for always stepping in uh, when there needs to be justice. She's always done that. So he's wrong. I'm Don. Thanks to Nolan. Thanks to Joey for stopping by. Don't forget, you can always reach out to Hey, us. real quick before we end. Yeah. 50-yard indoor war between me and you that you now you got a blown-out knee. 
Let's go because I probably would never beat you before. Yeah. So right now I want to I want to go. You might still beat me, but a fifty yard indoor war. Yeah. Me uh, with my I gained my COVID t- ten pounds. You with a blown out knee. Who yeah. you got? Man, I think it's even Stephen up there. Really? Yeah, I think it might be even. All Steve. right, let's yeah. do it. And if I was losing, you know, I would try to tackle you. Well, that's what I'm saying like 20 yards away. Okay. You might, right. you might beat me right now. So you might beat me. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for listening to us. Don't forget, if you need us, just reach out. RonadonSitdown.com. And we'll see you next time. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. Episode 147 is right around the corner. Only on the Ronadon Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. Ha, 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 ha,